0: Good morning and welcome to Skillman this morning. We are glad that you are here. I have one announcement just to clarify some things. Um, Sydney and Ann reminded me that ladies Bible class is going to begin on the 19th as opposed to when we'd announced it. So we're going to do it on the 19th. So if you come this week, you're a week early. That's a good thing, I guess, but probably no class. So if you'll come the next week, that'll be great. That's what we're doing. This is the second series in what, in a, in a, or second sermon in the series we are calling Reinvent. And in Reinvent, what we're looking to do is look at where we have been as a church, where we are, and where we're going. Jake last week, I think, called us to the most important thing that we can do, which is pray. Because it can't be our idea. It has to be what God wills for this community of believers, what God is wanting to do in this community of believers and how God is wanting to use each and every one of us. That's the thing that has to matter. Amen. And so as we are engaged right now in a 40 day of prayer time, in fact, we've got prayer guides both in our guest center at the back of this auditorium as well as in our welcome center that will kind of lead you through days of prayer, praying specifically for the Skillman Church, for God's revitalization of this place, for God's revival in this place, because truthfully, there needs to be a revival not only here, but there needs to be a revival throughout our land. And we need the move of God in our community in real and powerful ways. And we believe that God is calling us to ministry in this place. Amen? That is what He's asking us to do. And so we encourage you to participate in that. If you didn't start January 1, it doesn't matter. Pick one of those things up. Start today praying for what God is doing in this place. So I wanted to kind of introduce, we're, we're, we're looking at kind of our values this moment, this morning. And I, I wanted to do that by telling a story. A friend of mine had come through uh, the Miami International Airport, coming back through from the Caribbean. Now, our friends from Honduras have done that several different times. And if you've been through that, you know that's a nightmare of a place. It's not easy to kind of work your way through it. It's kind of tough. And this guy was coming through, and he only spoke Spanish. And so the the TSA agent is telling him, look, you need to take your belt off because your belt is going to cause the metal detector to go off. You need to take your belt off. He didn't understand, and he's trying, and the guy's trying to communicate with him, and he's trying to understand. So finally, the kind of the light bulb goes on. He undoes his belt. He takes his pants off. He puts his pants on the conveyor belt. And he walks through. Haven't we all been tempted to do that sometimes? Right? That we just try to get ourselves all all straightened through. There was not the kind of communication that needed to happen. And I have to tell you. What I don't want to do over these next seven weeks. Is communicate in a way that you don't understand, where we think God is taking us and how God is moving us. I want to start this morning with a quote from a fellow by the name of C.T. Studd. This is what he says. Some people want to live within the sound of the chapel bell, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. And what I want to do is talk about what that quote means in terms of our values and how that quote actually applies to what we have been doing, who we have been, and what we're going to do in the future. And I want to do that through using some signs. You see some signs on the stage. I'm going to refer to those in just a moment. Signs ought to communicate to us direction, things that we can understand, ways that we can grasp Where we're going, but I've also seen some signs that didn't do that. I found a few of those for you. Let's take a look at a couple of those. This sign says, My boss told me to change his stupid sign, so I did. Chances are that's a sign of somebody who's going to get fired. How how about this next one? Don't drink and drive. (laughs) Looks like he'd had a few before he started making the sign. Now, this one is actually in a Chinese airport, and it's kind of what happens when communication doesn't occur like it ought to. For restrooms, go back towards your behind. (laughs) Now, I'm just going to let that one sit there. You, You just stew on that for a minute. Signs do tell us a story, and they help us understand some things. But I think it's also fair to say sometimes with churches... You don't see what their actual signs are. James Dobson talked about a sign he saw in a church outside of California. I want you to see this sign. It says, no trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Sign the Sisters of Mercy. Does that cause any problem for you? Do you wonder what's really going on but here's what I want to say to you unfortunately there are churches where if you don't look right or if you don't have the right pedigree you're going to feel unwelcome there because it's their little chapel place I don't think that Jesus intended for the church to be a sin-free zone But I think that's what we have made out of it. We dress up to come to church. We put on our Sunday best. We want everyone to think something about us by the way that we act, interact. But at least in our history, we have not been a place where we have talked about those things that have kept us From becoming everything that God has called us to be, amen? Those things were kind of kept back on the back burner. But I want to say if you want to know where you find Jesus, you find him among a group of people that nobody else wanted to engage with, you find him in places that nobody else wanted to go. You found him in situations that nobody else, everyone said, why are you doing that? Why are you spending time with them? Why does that seem to matter so much to you? So what kind of signs would be signs that Jesus would have as he calls people to ministry? Because remember what he said. Follow me. Here's the first one. A simple little sign that just says, come as you are. Now, you could look at that sign and you could say, well, are you talking about the way that we dress? And you could make a point with that. Now look, I'm a 55-year-old guy that likes to wear suits on Sunday morning. At, and we have phones going off at the same time. I, you know, I love to dress like this. This is comforting to me. I guess it comes out of my background. I guess it comes out of how I was raised. All of those things. So you would look at me and say, well, is that the expectation? And I would say to you, no, it's not. Because we don't care how you're dressed. We care you are clothed. Amen. We do care about that. We we think it's an important thing for everybody to wear clothes, but it's not about what you wear. But come as you are has a much deeper meaning. We don't expect you to cover up and to clean up the places in your life where you desperately need Jesus. I want to look at a passage out of Matthew's gospel. And and Matthew is talking about and talking to the religious leaders of his day. Listen to these words. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and weakness. I want you to understand... And I want you to see, we're not asking anybody to come and put on airs about who you are. Come as you are with your doubts. Come as you are with your hurts, your hang-ups, your habits, the things in your life that are not working. Come with theology that doesn't match with mine. And I want to say this clearly to all of us. Unity and unanimity aren't the same thing. We are called to live in unity. We are not called to agree about every single thing that goes on. We won't. That's an impossible expectation. We won't agree about everything, but we are called to dwell together in unity with one another. Come with your family problems. Come with your sins. Come with your failures. Remember these words of Jesus out of Mark 2. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners. And if you think about it, religious folks in Jesus' day were quite uncomfortable because he was around those people. You and I have been called to go and make disciples. It was the last thing that Jesus said to us. It's what we were to be about. It's who we were to be, right? That's, that is, that is our purpose. We're to go into the world and we are to make disciples, which means, as he said, come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I've been fishing a few times. I have never caught a clean fish. Have you? Have you ever caught a fish, a fish that was filleted? that was ready to eat just coming out of the water? Or did you have to open that thing up and get rid of all those little bitty bones? Hey, turn to your neighbor and said, I'm a little bony. Go ahead. It's all right. You'll be okay by saying it. Just tell him I'm a little bony. Some of you looked at me like I had lost my mind. But I want you to think about that. We are a little bony. All of us come with all kind of things. It's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. John said in the Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say come and the one who hears says come. Let the one who is thirsty come and the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. So sign number one is come as you are. It's all right that you and I are a little bony. It's all right that life isn't always all put together. It may be mostly put together, but there may be some things that are difficult that we're having to work our way through. So here is sign number two. Some will look at sign number two and they'll say it's kind of similar to sign number one. But I'd like to say to you, it's a little different. And sign number two simply says, you matter to God. It's not that you're just welcome to come and worship God. It's that God loves you, loves you, loves you, and can't love you any more than he does right now. Sandy Bell said something to me years and years ago that I thought was almost scandalous. And then I've thought about it for almost 25 years. She looked at me one day and she said, Do you know that God can't love you any more than he does right now? And I thought about that and I thought, well, sure he can. And then I I sort of over time began to capture what she was really saying to me. God loves you. God doesn't love what you do or what you don't do. Does that have an impact? Absolutely. But not over the fact that he loves me that he is he is committed to me that he is crazy about me and if god is crazy about me trust me god is crazy about you and loves you just as you are If you have any idea or doubts about that, there's a passage from Ephesians 3 that kind of explains it to us. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love and get this may have power together with the Lord's holy people. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. How wide and long. How high and deep. That this God is so in love with you that he sends his one and only Son so that you might have the kind of relationship with him that is eternal. That he loves you that much. You matter to the God of the universe it's more than just you're welcome you matter to him when victor hugo wrote les mis he wrote this incredible story of redemption it's a story about jean valjean a man who has committed his own crimes and as a result of that crime has been prosecuted but has also been forgiven Valjean, in his journey, runs across a woman by the name of Fantine. She works in his employ for a bit of time. She is fired by Valjean's boss, and because she had to support herself, she goes and she becomes a prostitute. She has a child out of wedlock, a girl by the name of Cosette. And Valjean, in his journey, runs across her again, and she is on her deathbed. And he goes to see her, and he says to her, because he's trying to inspire hope in her, You know, Fantine, when you get well, I'm going to get a job for you, and life is going to be good. And she looks at him, and she says, You don't understand. I'm a whore. And Cosette has no father. And Valjean takes her hand. And he says, she has God and he is her father and you are his creation. And God has never seen you as anything but an innocent and a beautiful woman. I want you to hold on to that gospel moment. That the God of the universe looks at you right now and he has never seen you as anything but an innocent and a beautiful man or woman because of what he has done in Christ. That this God is crazy about you. And that you matter to Him more than you matter to anyone else. And if somebody in this room needed to have those words of the gospel said to them, then praise God I just did. You matter. You can come just like you are. You matter to God. And then there is this sign that says simply, Slow children at play. Now, that sign has a double meaning as well. We'll talk about the obvious meaning in just a second. But if you'll remember, there is this, this moment in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 18, where the disciples are kind of prohibiting children to come to Jesus. And Jesus addresses that moment with them. And in Matthew 18, he says these words. He called a little child to him and he placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. There is something about childhood that we must recapture when it comes to our spiritual lives. It is not only a sense of wonder, but I think it's a sense of joy. Can I say to all of us, we need to quit taking ourselves so dadgum seriously. We just think it's, you know, it's it's all about, we'll get ourselves so worked up about so many different things that we forget what it means to live in the joy of the Lord. God did not redeem us so that we would be miserable. He said, in this world we'll have trouble, but I've overcome the world, and if you trust in me, watch what I will be able to do in your life. Watch how I can change your life. And I got to thinking, how do I illustrate this moment? So I found this thing. I want you to see it. If you can look at this without smiling, then we need to look and be sure your heart is still beating. We've got doctors in the house. I'm sure we can find a stethoscope if we need one. But take a look at this and see if it doesn't make you smile for just a moment. I watched that the first time and I just laughed out loud because you look at him with that dog and, you know, he loves the dog and, you know, that moment's good and all. But there's just something about the joy of a child that Jesus says we need to have. I want us to hear that. That slow children at play doesn't just talk about the fact that children are important here. And that's the other side of the sign. They're incredibly important here. What happens and what Suzanne and Matt do in our children and youth program, what Ruth Ann does with the CDC program every single day, those things matter because children are being invested in. They are being taught. But let me tell you something. As we have a full nursery now, and it is full, and thank you to some of you that are continuing to help us fill it. That's going on as well. We are grateful for the fact that that's going on, but our children's church program is growing. Things are happening. We need more volunteers, I will tell you. If you're gonna volunteer for us in children youth ministry, you've got to pass background checks and you've got to succumb and understand that our child protection policy goes into play with that. Because one of the things we're always gonna do is protect children, so this is the safest place they can be. Amen? That's important to us. But as we do that and as we participate in that, there's opportunities for service for us to be involved in that and to invest in the lives of children and young people in ways that make a kingdom difference. And it's something we ought to do. And so this side with its double meaning, reminds us that children are always going to be important and always going to be central to what happens in this place. But this sign also talks to us about who we need to be and the fact that we do need to quit taking ourselves so seriously and the fact that we do need to remember that it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength, that He has given us all of these wonderful opportunities and become More like a little child so that we can move forward. Here is the last sign. And maybe this is the sign that undergirds everything else that we've talked about this morning. And maybe as a value, this is the sign that really helps us really have everything that we need to do. And it simply is this. Grace happens here. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 12 says, see to it. That no one comes short of the grace of God. And the most important thing I can extend to you, or that any of us can extend to you, is the grace of God. So to see sin without grace is despair. But to see grace without sin is arrogance. But to see sin and grace together, now that's conversion. To see what God has done in our lives. So I asked this question for us, if grace matters here, how do we see grace? There was a preacher who decided it was important to preach a sermon on biblical sexuality. And he was pretty tough. And it it had a bite to it as he went along. And so to illustrate what he was trying to do, he took a rose And he asked the congregation, he says, as he preached, he said, I want everybody in this church to touch this rose. And so the rose went throughout the church and and it was being touched. And he was talking about how if you don't do it God's way, you're going to it's kind of a turn or burn sermon. You've heard some of those, right? And the rose comes back to him and the petals have been worn off of it. And really, it's just a stem with thorns. And he says, who wants a rose like this? Who would want that rose? Who could do anything with this? It has lost its significance, its beauty, and its ability to be anything but a thorny mess from this place on. And there was this little guy in the back of the room. That stood up and said these words. I know who wants that rose. His name is Jesus. And he has this ability to bring new life out of our thorns. Grace happens here. Every week we have people walk through these doors. And every week there are things that are seen and unseen. I've had conversations with folks that said, I don't think God could ever love me again. You you just don't understand what I've done. And I always say, yeah, grace happens here. Or they'll sit there and say, you you don't get it. I, I walked away from God. I turned my back on God, on everything that meant something to me. I turned away and I'll look at him and go, I know. Grace happens here. Well, I've had an affair. My wife doesn't know it or my husband doesn't know it. And if they found out, they would be devastated. You don't know what it's done. You don't know what, you, you, you don't think that God could love me after that. And I go, I know it's awful. Grace happens here had those conversations. I've had an abortion. I had it when I was a kid, but I have thought about it every day. I know. Grace happens here. I've been to prison. My life has been so messed up for so long and I've been in and out of these correctional environments and here I am trying to do it this God way and I don't know that I can make that work. Or I'm, I'm active in an addiction that's gone on and I'm not sure that I can deal with those things because the pressures and all the things that come along. I understand that. Grace happens here. Or how about this one? I'm a religious hypocrite. I have pretended that everything in my life is always good, but I'm a person that has a problem with anger, that pride is out of control in my life, that I think I'm all that and three bags of chips and everybody ought to sit there and pay attention to me. And I've come to the understanding maybe that's not what God wants for me. And maybe I have been a great whitewashed tomb. (laughs) But on the inside, dead men's bones. As a recovering Pharisee, as someone who believed the party line, we're right, they're wrong, we got it. They don't. We do it this way, not that way. Grace happens here. No matter where we've been. The psalmist said it this way. As far as the east is from the west, That's what God does with our sins. He throws them into the ocean. So I want you to look at these four signs. And I said as I started this, this is, I want us to look at where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. I think this tells the story. It tells the story of our past. It certainly tells the story of our present And I pray that it tells the story of our future. And the reason I believe these signs are so valuable is I've experienced every bit of this. The 22nd of October, 2005, I walked into this worship center for the first time in a long time. It had been 15 years after nine and a half years of incarceration, being released, not knowing how people were going to feel about me. And I thought to myself, how in the world am I going to... How do I even talk to people? And I had no choice but to do this. I just came as I was. There wasn't anything else I could do. And then there were people over and over, over the course of these last 10 years who have reminded me in big and significant ways, you matter to God. And as those years have passed, I have been able to recapture what the, what God has always intended, that the joy of the Lord is our strength, that it doesn't, circumstances are not always easy, things in life are not always good, it doesn't always happen the way that I want to happen. But you know what? God has done an amazing And then that last one, grace happens here. The fact that I'm the one standing before you saying these words, the world says, is scandalous. How does anybody... Who's done what he does. How does anybody who has created the things that he has created. The mess he created with his life. How does that happen that he can stand before a group of people and say thus saith the Lord. Because grace really has happened here. And as a purveyor of God's grace, I get to purvey it to others and say to you in uncertain terms, what's been done for me will be done for you. That this God is that big. John 8, there's that story of a woman caught in the very act of adultery. She's brought before. The religious leaders, they're going to stone her, and they ask Jesus the question, "What do we do with her? How, how do we deal with this woman?" And he sits and he writes in the sand, and then he says, "Let you who were without sin, the one who's got it perp- who got it perfectly, pick up your rocks and kill her." And Scripture says that they went away from the oldest. ...to the youngest. And Jesus looks at her and says, is there no one here to condemn you? And she says, no one, sir. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I've always wondered what he wrote in the sand. I always thought it had been kind of cool if he had been listing the sins of the people that were accusing her... ...so they could get a bit of a taste of their own medicine... But the longer I've thought about that story, the more I think that's what he wrote. Grace happens here. So this morning, if life isn't perfect for you, welcome to the human race. And welcome to the church. Because it's not perfect for us either. If you need to confess your Savior, repent of your sins, and be baptized into Him, we encourage you to do that. But as elders, their wives, and our prayer team gathers around this room, here's what I hope you do. I hope you take a gander at these four signs that I really think are values that this church has espoused is espousing, and will espouse in the future. And think about how you might help others come into that kind of relationship where they can come as you are, that they matter to God, that they can experience the joy of the Lord, and that grace can happen for even them. Whatever your need, come as we stand and sing.